This recording is from Follow Baptist Church. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit the website at www.followchurch.com.au. Today's sermon is on Jonah chapter 2, but that starts in the middle of a sentence. I'll also be reading chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pits. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jeez, buddy. Thanks, mate. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Nathan. Uh, good morning everyone, great to see everyone here. Uh, my name is Ray and I'm uh, bringing the word. Thanks Pastor Luke for the opportunity and um, uh, let's believe God to help us today. Let's just begin quickly with a word of prayer. Uh, if not for you hearing, at least for me speaking. Uh, that, that would be appreciated. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and the privilege uh, to firstly stand here uh, and to speak of your wonder and your word. Uh, what a challenging chapter we have in front of us. A uh, believer, a prophet, a preacher who was disobedient to you and is being challenged, rebuked and thankfully delivered by you. I pray that this word would have application to many people here, to many believers. I pray that you would arrest our hearts, Lord, that you'd get a hold of us, that um, these next 20, 30 minutes would... Um, uh, be of substance and that your word, we just trust in it right now, that it won't return void, that it will accomplish that which you have purposed um, and I pray that it would be like seed sown into the hearts of people and that, that anything that's me, Lord, that it would just be charred, that it would be blown away in the wind and your word would produce fruit and uh, it would produce um, just much fruitfulness in our lives. Help us, help me, help me today. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thanks for joining with me in prayer. Jonah chapter 2, uh, we, as we've already heard, began the series last week where uh, Jonah, this prophet, this man of God, was called to go to Nineveh to preach to a, a people, a people that he didn't want to go and preach to. And so uh, he went to Spain. He got on a, a ship, a boat, to go in the opposite direction rather than go a thousand kilometres this way, he's decided to go two and a half thousand kilometres that way. Spain's probably a good place if you like to holiday, pina coladas and all that sort of stuff. Um, but that wasn't his reason. He was going, this prophet, uh, in disobedience to God. And God gets his attention, you remember that last week, until he's swallowed by a great fish. 
Now, for some of you today, perhaps that's a little bit fishy. A little hard for you to swallow. <clears throat> Pardon the pun. I did a little bit of research on fish and I'm hoping by the end of the chapter you'll be hooked. Uh, the, the truths I want to share with you, and I t- took some pictures, and you can Google it and do the research. It took me all of five minutes on Google, but there are actually two great fish that are capable of swallowing men. There's the, the sulphur-bottomed whale. Now, there are scientific names for these great fish, whales, sharks. Um, I won't uh, share them, unlike Rowan, who teaches at a Christian school. I went to a public school. Uh, so uh, I won't bore you with the uh, rhetoric of the, you know, the appropriate or proper uh, scientific, I'll just call it the sulphur, uh, sulphur-bottomed whale, but you can find that on Google as well. And then there's the whale shark. Both of these great fish uh, have no teeth and they feed by opening their mouths and rushing through the water at great speeds, collecting whatever is in their paths. They then strain out the water and swallow whatever is left behind. A sulphur-bottomed whale was captured off Cape Cod in 1933 and his mouth alone, when it was opened, it was opened to 12 feet wide. They said this whale could have quite easily swallowed an entire horse. Uh, These whales have four to six compartments in their stomachs and their head is an air storage compartment that is often seven feet tall, seven feet wide and 14 feet in length, allowing them to go underwater for long periods of time. So this is a seven-foot chamber inside their head that stores air. I don't know about you, but that was about the size of the first house I lived in with my wife. (laughs) Uh, It's also a fact that uh, these whales, when they stomach something or someone that gives them a headache that's in their air component or chamber, they'll swim to the nearest land and upchuck the offending item. So there you go. Then I'll move on just to give you some accurate accounts of people or the possibility to prove that not only is it possible for a man to be swallowed by a whale, but it's actually happened in history. Mm. Grace W. Kellogg, I don't think made the serial, With the title of the Bible today, she tells of an article in the Cleveland Plain Dealer about a dog that was lost overboard and found six days later in the head of a whale alive and barking. (laughs) That wasn't your mobile phone. French scientist M. um, de Parville writes of James Bartley, who is in the region of the Falkland Islands, was supposed to have been drowned at sea. Two days later after his disappearance, uh, disappearance. The sailors made a catch of a whale and when it was cut up, much to their surprise, they found their missing friend alive but unconscious inside the whale. He was re- revived again, though bleached and uh, looked like an albino. He enjoyed the rest of his best days since that adventure, though he never went back out to sea again. <laughs> Dr Harry Reimer, President of the Research Science Bureau of Los Angeles, writes... And the, uh, the Literary Digest, we noticed an account of an English sailor who was swallowed by a gigantic ritodon, oh, I don't know if that's pronounced uh, appropriately, public school, in the English Channel. <laughs> Briefly, the account stated that in the attempt to harpoon one of these monstrous sharks, the sailor fell overboard, and before he could be picked up again, the shark turned and engulfed him. 48 hours after the accident occurred, the fish 
was sighted and slain when the shark was opened up by the sailors. They were amazed to find the man unconscious but still alive. He was rushed to the hospital where he was found to be suffering from shock alone and a few hours later was discharged and was physically fit. There you go. Well, anyway, if we find it a bit fishy, a little hard to swallow, there you go. But help me know that the fuss aside, the proof, the evidence that it's capable or possible for somebody to be swallowed by a whale, I think if we get caught up in that, we probably miss the real message of the book because if we believe in God, then all things are possible. I think it's an old um, Salvation Army preacher that said if God chose or wanted to be, he could have chosen that the the sailor could have swallowed the whale if that's what God wanted. I don't know if I'd go that far, but... Um, maybe fish and chips for the rest of us but um, <laughs> but it happened I have no problem with a miracle I don't know about you not only because of the possible evidence but I believe it because Jesus had no problem with it Jesus in the New Testament he used it as an illustration for himself as a type of his own death, burial and resurrection and we see the story in Jonah that he was swallowed by this great whale and something's happening. In chapter 2, we're given to this story the point that something's happening inside this whale. You can tell often a lot about somebody by their reaction to certain things. We're going to see some reactions to Jonah that tells us a little bit about the person that he is, he was. If you're at work or with somebody... There are certain things that you can observe about, a, that, about somebody's life that can reveal their character. What makes somebody laugh? What are they laughing at? Or what makes somebody weep? What moves somebody in their heart? What gets somebody excited? When you see somebody pouring their life out, giving themselves wholeheartedly to certain things, it reveals something of their character, something of their interest, what they value in life. What is it that somebody is willing to sacrifice for? It reveals what they value. What price is somebody willing to pay for something? It reveals what they value. Well, for us as believers, certainly another way that we can see the character of somebody is by their prayers. When I talk about prayers, I'm not talking or speaking of church prayers because all of us, if told we're given an opportunity to pray, particularly publicly, we can pontificate perhaps with the best of people. We can all easily script a prayer and say a prayer in front of others that can sound very, very elegant, but it's not necessarily an indication of what's really happening or taking place inside our hearts. Are you with me? But it's when the rubber meets the road in your life, in your family, with your kids, with your job, with who you are, when no one else is looking, when it's just you living life, when it's you driving down Princess Freeway, Princess Highway, when it's you driving home and all of that stuff in your life, in your world is going through your mind. What solutions? What are you turning to? What are you thinking about? What are you pondering about what's next? What we see here with Jonah, we see him praying. And the prayer he prayed here, it's a time when he is sinking. What about you? 
What do you pray about when you feel that your life is sinking? What do you pray about when you feel like everything in your life is falling apart? Notice in, as uh, Nathan spoke of, verse 17 of chapter 1 in the Hebrew Bible, it's actually part of chapter 2, the English translation puts chapter 2 verse 1 where it states that Jonah prayed to the Lord. And here it is, Jonah, he prays. He's praying here. This is a costly exercise for him. He's disobeyed God. He's going in the opposite direction to what the Lord wanted him to go. And he's in a desperate, deep, deep, dark place. In fact, in chapter 1, it repeats that phrase, deep, deep. And he's going further and further into a dark and a desperate place. And here, as Jonah is going through this experience... The Lord is going to do a great work in Jonah and perhaps as we look at four things we're going to ponder very quickly today, perhaps you find yourself in one of these four. If not, I would just encourage you as you walk with the Lord to perhaps file it away, shelve these four truths that I'm going to bring quickly, amen, Um, that you shelve them because you're probably going to need them in your own life at some stage. First thing I want us to see here quickly about Jonah is his disobedience. Notice Jonah here, he prayed not whilst he was at home after God had said go to Nineveh. He's not praying while he's walking to the port where he wants to get on a ship to uh, go to Tarshish. He's not praying uh, as he's even boarding the ship. He's praying when he's already disobeyed God, when he's in trouble, if you like. Not when he's off doing his own thing, but he's praying now in this place of incredible disobedience. Now, for Jonah to do this and to be this way, it's quite incredible because the Jewish people were a very blessed people. God had given them his word, the Ten Commandments, he'd given them the law, he'd given them the sacrifices, he'd given them the temple, These were a blessed and a privileged uh, people. Further to that, he was a prophet, he was a preacher of the word. Yet in all of this, in all of the teaching, the good theology that he had, uh, in chapter 4 you will see that Jonah says, Lord, I know you to be a gracious God. I know you to be slow to mercy and uh, uh, to be merciful rather and to be slow to anger. Uh, He had all of this good theology and yet he was still disobedient. And we know that's possible. You can know all the right stuff about God, you can know all the right things about Christianity and still be disobedient to the Lord. Here is Jonah, he's quoting scripture. Uh, In fact, as I was just looking through that, he's quoting Psalms, I believe. He quotes seven uh, statements uh, from uh, six different Psalms. He's quoting the word. Now we know, again, it's not enough to quote the word. You've got to Live the word. You've got to act out the word. I think one of the Psalms, it says something like, Lord, your word I've hidden in my heart that I would not sin against you. There's got to be some follow-up, not just head knowledge. Verse 1, it says there concerning him, or rather verse 7, if we may jump down in chapter 2, if you've got your Bible open, page 774 of the Old Testament, in mine anyway. 
He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Perhaps this is a step of disobedience for you. It was for him. He forgot the Lord. You know what it means to forget the Lord? Forget the Lord, it just simply means in our day-to-day activity, we're just doing it ourselves. Just as we're living our life, we have just not checked in with God. That, that's what's happening. I mean, we, you forgot, forget the Lord. Well, he, he was running from God, so in a sense he didn't forget, but he forgot the Lord when it came to just his daily, after day, his daily activities. He forgot the Lord. Notice there in verse 7, I remember the Lord and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. So the second part was he stopped praying. First you forget the Lord and then you stop praying. This is the, this is the direction of disobedience, if you like. Just forget the Lord and your day-to-day activity and then you just stop praying. Anyway, some of the most powerful prayer meetings you can have can be just driving to work some mornings. Just you, you and the Lord alone and you're just talking to him about the day. And you know, It would be wonderful to say that every day we start early and we spend some time before we go out. But sometimes it's, we're out and about and it's just you and the Lord and it's just lifting up the day's activity to the Lord every day. Jonah evidently wasn't doing that. Forgot the Lord. He neglects prayer. He's forgotten about God. And then the next thing we see in verse 8, it says there, those who pay regard to vain idols forget the hope of steadfast love. Forget or forsake steadfast love. And here it is, it's like Jonah in his life and in his heart. He's soul is fainting within him, he's being disobedient and what's happening in his heart is he's beginning to look at the idols, he's believing the lies of perhaps these idols, it says that they observe lying vanities and they forsake their own mercy. This is what's happening in Jonah's heart. Can I tell you brothers and sisters the will of God is not just something that we can just accept or reject. The will of God is something that we should simply obey. And if we follow after idols, the things of this world, we'll end up with, as it says there in verse 8, vain idols or empty vanities, as it says in the King James. You know what van- empty vanities are? It's, it's a picture of a soap bubble. It's something that looks pretty and in the sunlight you can see the colours of the rainbow but there's no substance. And how we know anything but the Lord ultimately in all of our life is all emptiness, bar and aside from him. He gives meaning to all of life. And maybe for Jonah he'd begin to give in to all these other things because he'd forgot the Lord. It's easy for us as Christians to believe the lies. We can believe the lies of things like I can sin and I can get away with it. 
What's it going to hurt? I'll just do this on the side. I'll never get caught. I can change God's mind. These are lies. See, Jonah lost all of these things because he was disobedient, because of his disobedience. And not only did he pay a price for his disobedience, but everyone else on the ship paid a price as well. They're all throwing their goods, their items into the ocean. Notice that when Jonah got on the ship in chapter 1, he had to pay the fare. Whenever we're disobedient to the Lord, we end up paying the fare. What did Jonah lose? We lost a lot of things. He lost God's voice. We see that in verse 2. I'll move quickly. In verse 2, God speaks to Jonah. By verse 4, God isn't speaking to Jonah about the storm and the wind. The storms, God is using the storms, if you like, to speak to Jonah. In verse 6, chapter 1, we know the shipmaster is speaking to Jonah, saying, wake up, get up. Everyone else is getting beaten by the storm and, and you're asleep in the bottom. What's going on? Notice there, something else that he lost, if you like, was his spiritual energy. He's sleeping in the storm. You know, I think we as Christians, if, we're, if we've lost our spiritual vitality, our spiritual life, it might be evidence or a sign of like Jonah disobedience in our life. We need a combination of the Holy Ghost and a Red Bull sometimes going through our system. Ultimately, chapter 1, verses 7 through to 10, he lost his testimony. He had to tell these pagans that he was actually a runaway preacher. Okay, the reason for this storm, it's me, I'm running from God, I'm being disobedient to God, throw me into the water and you watch, the storm will cease. He was lucky he nearly lost his life if it wasn't for the grace of God. So we go from disobedience to moving quickly to discipline. What did God do to this disobedient preacher, Christian, man? God disciplined him. God caused this great fish to swallow up Jonah because God didn't give up on Jonah and thankfully he doesn't give up on us. Amen. God told this fish to swallow Jonah and thankfully the fish didn't digest Jonah. He was undigestible. What a great thing. You know why this is? Because God is just, and just as concerned about the worker as he is the work. God was doing just as much in Jonah's life as he was going to do in Nineveh. And this is true of all of us. Wherever we are, God is going to do just as much in the community and the people that we go to as God is desiring to do in us as we're there. The people that you're sitting in amongst today, God will use those people in your life as much as he wants to use you in theirs. This is what's happening for Jonah. Jonah needed Nineveh, Nineveh needed Jonah. And when we're in the will of God, it brings out the best in us. When we're outside the will of God, it brings out the worst in us. Can I tell you that's true of every home? When a man is outside the will of God, the home 
is a mess. When a woman is outside the will of God in a home, things are a mess. When the kids are outside the will of God in a home, it's a mess. When Christians inside the church are outside the will of God, we're fighting, we're disobeying God, the church is a mess. Every component of society, when we're outside of the will of God, will end up, if you like, like hell on earth. Are you with me, church? And that's why God, because he loves us, he disciplines us. Hallelujah. Greatest chapter, I I reckon, I believe in the Bible found in Hebrews chapter 12. It begins in verse 3. As it speaks of God loves us, he disciplines us because he loves us. I'm a proud and a blessed man of five daughters. Five children, five girls. Now you'll pray for me. (laughs) Three older daughters, two younger daughters. They're all a blessing. I've had to go to the bathroom most of my life outside on the tree, but they're all a blessing. (laughs) Never been able to have enough toilets in our house. But, you know, if you love your kids, you discipline your kids. If you say, I'd never smack my children, I love them too much. No, you love you too much. I'm not talking about, you know, whacking them foolishly or... Uh, in a way that would be uh, illegal. I know a little bit about the law. (laughs) But the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastises. He, He rebukes and sometimes if he can't get through to us with a word, he gives us a whack. In love. Hebrews 12, I'll just read a couple of verses. Verse 3, just so you know that it's in the Bible. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have, and, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when you are reproved for him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Guess what? If you're not being chastised, you're not his son. You see, from where I'm from, when a judge brings the law down on an offender, on the accused, it's not because he loves that person. I'm in court every day of the week and when a judge does that, that's not because he has love for the offending party. He does that simply to uphold the law. But you see, when God doesn't judge somebody, God disciplines those he he loves because he's wanting to make them mature and make them better and it's evidence of his love for you. He's maturing you. He's wanting to bring you into a place of blessing. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
And if you were left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not his sons. Truth is, it hurts more, I believe, or it hurts the parent more to discipline, to smack their children than to not smack them. Nothing worse than hearing your little baby give a cry, even though it's only for a minute. And then you give the big hug. But it hurts you more to, to have to do that. I've never smacked my neighbour's kids. <laughs> I felt like it. <laughs> Got a friend at the back and uh, early days uh, back at the church here today. and he, he will remember the story. They just bought a brand new lounge suite and went out... Kids went around to the house. <laughs> Bible study, we've got our notes out and, you know, the kids get a little bit bored. They started riding on the brand new white lounge. I saw it in his eyes. He wanted to smack my kids right then and there. <laughs> but he didn't. God disciplines us because he loves us. Maybe the Lord's discipline in Jonah to get Jonah to come around. Maybe the Lord, and I will bring it to a close soon. <laughs> Maybe the Lord just wanted to remind Jonah what it was like to be lost as he's gone deeper and deeper and deeper down into the bottom of that ocean, in the belly of the whale, seaweed wrapped around his head, fish slapping him in the face. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, I don't eat much of that. What's that Asian stuff? Seaweed wrap stuff? Sushi. sushi. I've never been one for sushi. I've tried it because you go to the food courts and everyone looks cool. All the fit people eat sushi. I still eat meat pies, mate. <laughs> Anyway, here's Jonah. He's about to respond to God's discipline. And can I say, just for all of us, you know, some of you could just be turning off right now this message. I don't want to hear who is this bloke. What's he talking about? Discipline, the Lord. That's exactly how some of us, we can get bitter. We can fight God's discipline. He's him trying to reach out to us to bring us back to his will. We can just say, oh, I don't want to hear it and shut down and play on our iPhones. Turn the TV on, go the blues. <sighs> I know. But just like a child, the purpose of discipline is never to break the spirit, but to break the will. See, and no child will ever grow up to be a productive, mature adult without learning and understanding boundaries and right and wrong. You don't never want to break a child's spirit, absolutely, but you want to challenge their will. You never just want them to run out of control across the road, out in car parks. Have you seen kids like that? That's what our world's like. Kids running across the road. The kids I deal with on a daily basis, arm robberies, baseball batting people in the face, dragging them out of cars every day. Young, rebellious kids that I deal with. The drug epidemic. 
so much of it comes back to a broken family. I know what that's like. I come from one. And here's the Lord trying to break this man's will who's in disobedience. Thankfully, Jonah's heart turns, verse 7 and 9. And he says there, as I turn back, what page was it again? 774. He says, When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. And verse 9, But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I wish he had done that in chapter 1. <laughs> if he had have done that earlier, we wouldn't have had all of this trouble and issues, but how, how many know some of us have to learn the hard way? Growing up, I have always had a big head. They used to call me Baked Bean Head. <laughs> Thankfully, my body grew into my head. (laughs) But it did look a little disproportionate, Jurassic (laughs) Park-like. But I've always had a bit of a hard head, you know. Had to learn the hard way. So did Jonah. Jonah here, the end, speaks about the temple. He's turning back to the Lord. He's praying. He's looking to God. He's calling out to God. And thank God, God is taking him in that whale back, back in the whale, back towards Nineveh because he's the God of a second chance. Hallelujah. Thank God he's a God of a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth for some of us. And God is gracious to forgive. How many know that? God is more gracious than people, can I tell you? People that can't remember a Bible verse or remember things that you've done wrong never remember a verse in their life but they'll tell you about everything that you've ever done wrong in your life but not not God he is gracious gracious to forgive and Jonah knew this and here it is he's rededicating himself the last point which is his deliverance God forgives him, delivers him and God takes him back to Nineveh. He gets there. The whale vomits him out. And we know that's the grace of God too. There's a few other rejection points. I reckon that was the best one. (laughs) (laughs) He comes out. I don't know about you, but I get the vision of him covered in the uh, gastric juices. (laughs) He walks to Nineveh. In the modern age, I think we call this contextualisation, don't we? Preachers, those at Bible college, contextualisation. I don't reckon any other preacher looked like this guy, right? And isn't it amazing, the Ninevites actually worshipped Dagon, who was a fish god. Bit of humour in that. Another bit of humour, the word Jonah in Hebrew actually means dove. Do you know this is the greatest revival in history and how many know... The Holy Spirit has to do a work in someone's heart in order for them to get saved. There's so many wonderful little nuggets and truths, you know, like that there. So here the people that are worshipping the fish god, (laughs) Mr Fishy rocks up, (laughs) covered with seaweed, skin all bleached out, 
and just gives them like a nine word sermon, you better repent. (laughs) And they look at him and they think, this guy looks very different than the last few. I think we ought to listen to him. (laughs) He's a walking miracle. And can I just say, guys, that's what we need more of here in our community. Yeah, it's good to give out flyers. But let's just start being a bit obedient to whatever that stuff he's talking to you about in your heart. And maybe dead people start looking like alive people and when alive people start just being alive in a dead community, all of a sudden people are going to ask us, what's going on in your life? There's a great truth, as I made mention, that Jesus in the book of Matthew spoke about Jonah being a type of him. And again, another layer of wonderful truth of the Bible. Some even suggest, some Bible scholars have suggested that Jonah actually died in the fish and was actually resurrected. I, I can't confirm or deny that that is what happened. It's possible God can resurrect him. Jesus used him as a picture of his life, death and uh, resurrection. But I can certainly see these truths, is that Jonah was in this place, this dark, deep grave, if you like, for his own sins. Well, Jesus went to the grave for the sins of the whole world. Jonah went to the grave, if you like, due to his unwillingness. Jesus went to the grave willingly for all of us. Jonah died, if you like, because of his disobedience. Jesus died because he was obedient. Both in common, Jesus and Jonah, raised from the dead so that the message could go out to others. Let's take this message to the world. Let's be obedient to God. Can you say amen? What's the title of the message? Meditation and mucus. (laughs) No, that's not very good, is it? Um, If you want the deeper life, you've got to have a deeper death. That's really the message that Jonah went through. He went through some things. What about us? We can come and sit and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon and go home exactly the same. Will you allow God to grab a hold of your heart today? He can come another sermon, another Sunday. Can I tell you, God wants your heart doesn't want to force obedience out of you, just as Pastor Luke said with our giving. It reveals the heart. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need anything. He wants your heart. What happens when you fall out of love? Oh, I'm heart broken. It's all in the heart. Out of the heart flows all of the issues of our life. God wants to get our hearts. Will you allow God to get a hold of your heart? today? Are you finding yourself in one of these perhaps stages, disobedience, discipline? Good news. Today, if you would dedicate, you can find God's deliverance 
in your life. Let's not fight it. Amen. Let's surrender to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just be here today with brothers and sisters. Thank you for what you're doing in our church plant here and follow. What a blessing and a joy to see all that you're doing here and to be a part of it. I pray that you would speak to us today. Every person in this place, if there is someone, a brother or sister, that is resisting you, that's fighting you, just not allowing you to have your way. They're, they're in denial or just running, running away from you right now. Lord, I pray that you'd somehow use me just a common vessel to get a hold of someone's heart here. Help me to not pursue the worthless idols of this world but to keep you front and centre of all that I do with my family, with my wife and my kids. In all things, Lord. I pray today if there's somebody that is here that has never been born again, that's never turned to you, that you would touch their hearts. Somehow that you'd use this message, Lord, to get a hold of their hearts. By your Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself today. Just while our heads are bowed, the band's going to lead us in worship. Pastor Luke is going to close the service. Let's just spend a minute perhaps just talking to the Lord and allowing the Lord to seal these words, this word, in our hearts today. This is worship songs. Just whenever you're feeling content or free, you can join in the chorus and sing the song. But until then, I just encourage us to be in a place of prayer where we are. Surrender. Just say to the Lord as Jonah finally did, Lord, I will. I will obey you. I will do what you want me to. Amen. Pray as long as you need to today.